you feel about atonal classical music? Schoenberg, Berg, Webern, and all that came after. Boulez, Stockhausen, Berio, Nonno, Ligeti. Schoenberg predicted that grocers' boys would be whistling serial music on their rounds. Where are those grocers' boys? Maybe they were driven to kill. The Twelve-Tone Murders E-flat. It is this quartet that takes us to the strange air of another planet, the music becoming more intense, more wonderful, more exquisitely different, as the strings throb, as the harmony collapses with a languid elegance, leaving the notes, leaving the chords to push the past away and usher in the future. We are invited, all invited, to step into the light, to bathe in the pure alterity of new sounds, the beauty, weird but welcoming, the rapture, seductive with its cold passion. All the elements of music, that jaded, worn-out medium, flayed to entertain, beaten to conservative, reactionary dust, arising, reborn, on the chill breath of a woman's voice, and everything has changed. Blame it on Schoenberg. No, that's not fair. I take full responsibility. But Schoenberg was my inspiration. As he freed music from the constraints of a stultified tonality to emancipate the dissonance, so I freed myself from a conservative morality to create ethical sculptures in social space. Schoenberg spoke to me, I don't mean literally, though I would require a knowledge of the language and behaviours of madness to enable me to progress my work. I feigned, or perhaps it would be more honest to say that I invoked mental illness to enable me to escape detection. The grand irony of my life was that I was unable, in the end, to take the credit, or, if you like, to be acknowledged as the author of my own work. I confessed, but my confession was rejected. When you make a beginning, you can only use the materials that are to hand. Consequently, I started with members of my own family. I had only a mother, a father, and a sister. There was no extended network of relations. The opportunities were to be taken as they fell. There was no overriding Oedipal plan. I was not concerned with the name of the father. Nevertheless, I am immensely grateful to my parents and to my only sibling, I am sure that if they were in a position to reflect critically on what has occurred, they would at least appreciate the quality of my design and the ambition of my craft. One day, when my parents were out, my sister took a bath. I smashed the door open and held her head under the water until she drowned. Then I cut along the length of her veins on both wrists. I wrote a suicide note in my best imitation of her handwriting and left it in an envelope on my parents' bed. I called the police. Afterwards, I mimicked the symptoms of severe depression until I was seen by a psychiatrist. I never took the medication, but I acted out a slow recovery. It was an exhilarating experience, akin, I believe, to the early atonal works. My sister's murder was my version of the second string quartet. G. Brevity, 
simplicity and precision. Mäßig, sehr langsam and bewegt. Burst free from the weakened chromatic chains. Of course, there are vestigial, superficial remnants of tonal writing here, but they are ghosts. They haunt the listener. They tease. They remind us of what has been left behind. A violent emotional language, an agglomeration of motivic cells. But what colours? What rhythms? What moods? I was out walking with my father in the mountains. Happily, the weather was wet and the paths slippery and treacherous. We came to the ridge. I made certain there was no one to observe us, and after I had finished a brief explanation of the method of composing with twelve notes related only to one another, I pushed my father into the river valley. The drop was sheer, and the rocks on the valley floor were a good hundred metres or so below. Consequently, there was absolutely no chance of survival. My father's favourite composer was Stravinsky. I ran for help and accompanied the emergency services on their difficult journey to the location of the body. I decided to don the mask of psychotic depression this time, but only after I had delivered a tender and reflective funeral oration. Careful always to dispose of my medication discreetly, I created the impression of being a very docile patient who accepted interventions and rapidly made progress. I was discharged home to be with my mother. I like to think of my father's murder as my three pieces for piano, cold, decisive, and strangely beautiful. A. Expression is all in a constant process of change, in an endless distillation and condensation of emotion, an opera crushed into a song, the orchestra and the voice whispering, laughing, screaming. The notes contain unbearable agonies, the terrors of the night, the savage scarring of the wounded heart, the compression of a lifetime's suffering into a one-act monodrama a single second of maximum spiritual excitement in slow motion stretched out to half an hour, and no repetition. As I soon took over the cooking duties in the household, it was easy to poison my mother. I had never really liked my mother. Fond memories of my father and my sister did occasionally challenge the grand conception of my enterprise to commit twelve murders, related to one another, but not to any extraneous scheme. A new motivic development, based on radically emancipated morality, where the preservation of life or the prohibition of killing is abolished and a glorious pattern of execution performed. Logic without romantic sentiment, structure without the deployment of dated ethical architecture. I was able to make my mother suffer by subjecting her to many minor discomforts that did not require medical attention beyond my own solicitous insistence on her taking more rest, retiring to bed earlier, and generally making her more absent from my living space where I could then play my beloved Schoenberg as loudly as I wished. I finished her off with seventy crushed paracetamol tablets in a cheese omelette washed down with a fine bottle of claret. I made her go to bed early. 
Unfortunately, she started vomiting approximately an hour later, and I had to place my hand over her mouth and nose to ensure asphyxiation and inhalation of the sick. It was unpleasant but satisfying, rather like the chamber opera, Erwartung. I phoned the ambulance at 4 a.m., distraught. I was too overcome to speak at the funeral this time, and sought admission for a long, slow contemplation of my next move. I had run out of family. My brooding and taciturn presentation led them to advise a course of electroconvulsive therapy. Luckily, I began to respond well to the antidepressants, and the ECT was cancelled. B. A harlequin, a clown, a joker, and a thief. Moonstruck in Sprechstimme. Flute, clarinet, violin, cello, piano, and soprano. Love, sex, religion. Violence, crime, and blasphemy. The wine that one drinks with one's eyes is poured down in waves by the moon at night, and a spring tide overflows the silent horizon. The performer must resist adding anything that the composer did not intend, derive the mood solely from the music. Before I left the hospital, however, I had made a significant development and had completed my first post-familial termination. I was inspired when I overheard two nurses talking about the need to have the CCTV in the corridor repaired. That night, confident that the nurses on the night shift spent most of their time sleeping in the office, I entered the room adjacent to mine and strangled the occupant an insignificant male schizophrenic of about forty years of age, with a pair of his own socks tied together. I then soaked his bedsheet in water to make it easier to twist into a makeshift rope, which I tied around his neck before hauling him up and securing the sheet to the door frame and jamming part of the sheet between the top of the door and the frame itself. It was a convincing tableau of self-slaughter. Suicide is much more common than homicide with the mentally ill, and frankly, he had nothing to live for. And so it was perfectly reasonable for him to become my puppet, my Piero Lunaire, in fact. The body was not discovered until the morning shift. All the patients were interviewed in a perfunctory manner. The police showed little interest in the case. Clear-cut suicide. C-sharp, C and B-flat. This is what it feels like to have a heart attack and to pull through. A chamber heart attack. What better way to describe the fear and panic of a life that thinks it is about to be terminated than serious, serial music? The fluttering, the pain, the excruciating trauma of cardiac arrest, followed by the fight for survival, the negotiation with fate, the struggle to regain control over the body. The spirit rising up from the depths to gasp and splutter in the open air once more. I was now the sole occupant of my house and the sole beneficiary of the wills of my parents. I concocted a plan to sell my house but to retain access and the ability to seal off any means of egress. I had to be receptive to any reasonable offer, but when a young woman with her two small children put in a bid, I felt compelled to accept. The sale permitted me to purchase a far more convenient accommodation in a more secluded part of the town. One month after they moved in, they were all tragically killed in a house fire. 
I was stoic after the discovery, fully cooperated with the police questioning, and was eliminated from inquiries when some documents were found to have survived the fire, including threatening letters from the woman's ex-husband. With three dead bodies, I inevitably regarded this composition as my string trio. D. Everyone loves a good tune, don't they? They can't resist the old familiar tug at the heartstrings when a melody, melody as we have come to know and revere it, caresses our ears with its luscious, drooling, saccharine thrill. Tickle me under there. And Schoenberg, too, every now and then. At Christmas, anyway. You wouldn't begrudge him a romantic relapse once a year, would you? I had not needed to rely upon my history of mental illness to evade accusation for the string trio, and so I decided to develop further the possibilities of killing people with whom I had had no connection at all. I found it difficult to get to grips with this concept until, near Christmas time, I observed a bored and exhausted-looking Santa Claus taking a break from his yuletide duties at the works entrance to a department store. He was smoking with two companions, also dressed in Christmas attire. Suddenly, though, when the elf and the snowman went back inside, and he was left alone to finish his cigarette, I had a flash of inspiration. Making sure that no one was looking, and satisfying myself that there were no cameras in view, I pulled up the hood on my winter coat, and I walked as close to Santa as I could, stabbing him in the throat with my fountain pen, and then stamping on his head when he collapsed, until I was satisfied that brain matter was seeping from his skull. It was, of course, a level of direct violence that I found somewhat distasteful, but I absolutely had to make sure that death resulted, otherwise it would totally spoil the perfection of my composition. Nevertheless, I wasn't totally happy with the piece. It seemed a little clumsy, and perhaps a little kitsch, to murder Father Christmas. It was my Weihnachtsmusik. E. For reciter, string quartet and piano, you can view this as a protest against tyranny or the solemn fulfilment of an international commission for the League of Composers. But it wasn't his favourite composition, and even among the aficionados it can hardly be described as loved. There's a powerful, dramatic expression, all right, a good deal of sarcasm and scorn, and even the odd musical joke, as in the moment when he combines quotes from the Marseillaise and Beethoven's Fifth, but it's all a little dry and academic in the end. Schoenberg did not like the random, like his pupil Cage, but he was always willing to use material that came along. The Ode to Napoleon is a setting of a poem by Byron. For Napoleon read Hitler. Schoenberg was acutely aware of the rising power of anti-Semitism. When on holiday in Austria in 1921 with his family, he was hounded out of a resort which claimed to be for Aryans only. Just in the nick of time they left Germany for the USA in 1933, shortly after he had reconverted from Protestantism back to Judaism. When I came across a young man putting up neo-Nazi posters near my home late one night, I hit him over the back of the head with a brick and deposited his body in the recycle bin. The ode has never been one of my favourite Schoenberg pieces, but it has its place. One must take a stand against prejudice, wherever one can. F-sharp and A-flat 
The late masterpiece is, of course, the unfinished opera Moses und Aaron. Totally in control of his craft, and having found the perfect narrative to represent his life, his philosophical position, his anger, his shame and his awe, Schoenberg wrote the greatest opera of the 20th century. Here he wrestles with the unknowable nature of God, and the unfinished state of the piece is in itself an artistic statement about human existence. Well, when you have a masterpiece to emulate, you have to think big. My assassination of the Prime Minister and the King with a hammer was, in my humble opinion, the equal of Schoenberg's Moses und Aaron. And really, it was not that hard to accomplish. I climbed over the back wall of Buckingham Palace early on a winter's evening, on a day when I knew that royalty was mixing with politics. I was fortunate that, as had happened before, part of the wall had begun to collapse, making my entry into the royal estate unproblematic. I made my way then, with as much composure and bravado as I could muster, to the palace itself, where I was able to accost, stun, and divest of his clothing a high-ranking servant of some sort dressed in livery. Having rendered him unconscious and immobile, and having tucked my hammer into an inside pocket, I furnished myself with a tray and a decanter from the kitchen, feeling with every step that a divine intervention was aiding and abetting my progress. I sauntered, yes, I do believe the word here is apposite, and ascended until I could clearly see a large door with armed guards standing outside. Brazenly I presented myself. The door was opened, and how marvellous, closed again behind me. There was no time for hesitation. I struck him twice, once on the top of the skull, and then when he slumped forward on the back of the head. He died instantly. Majesty diminished, eradicated. The speed of my attack enabled me to swoop upon the Prime Minister. I took more time, as he was younger. I smashed him across the face, and then when he fell to the ground, I crushed his skull like an eggshell with repeated blows, until the bloody pulp of his brain began to ooze onto the carpet. Mission accomplished, I took a swig from the decanter, opened the door, put my finger to my lips as the burly security from MI-19 or whatever stared at me, and boldly retraced my steps all the way to the wall. Why I was not followed or apprehended is a mystery. For having achieved my goal, I had no intention of going undetected. I should have simply flung open the door for the security goons to display my handiwork, not that I did not enjoy my return trip. However, in order not to lose the full impact, I wended my way, not home, but to Paddington Green Police Station to hand myself in, and to confess not only to the murder of the ceremonial and actual heads of state, but to all the other murders as well. I confessed, and I confessed, but I was disbelieved and dismissed. I insisted and persisted, but I was thwarted and denied. And when, frustrated by my inability to be taken seriously, I was finally arrested for damage to police property and with threatening an officer, it was not remand to prison to await trial for murder that was the outcome, but rather detention in psychiatric hospital. F. And near the end, a great lyrical outpouring. A serial piece, of course, but imbued with such melancholic yearning as to evoke memories of Tchaikovsky and Sibelius. The violin concerto is quite simply a beautiful summation of his craft, and possibly the most delicately crystalline of any of his twelve-tone compositions. 
it is impossible not to weep, especially during the andante grazioso. Certainly there is a neoclassical structure and a necessary mimesis of tonal melody, but the work is such a perfect achievement that it would be an honour for it to be performed at one's funeral, should one be so fortunate as to have a funeral. My time will come after my death, I can have no doubt. The cruelty and ignorance of the world is hard to endure. I have at last drawn back from the exhausting effort of the futile pursuit of recognition. They all deny, each and every one, not only that I was responsible for the most courageous political assassination of the century, but that it even happened at all. They still talk of the king. They still talk of the prime minister, as if they were still alive, still in office, oblivious to the truth, denying or unable to accept the cover-up. The importance of my work will be accepted. It will be admired and discussed, but only in the future. My violin concerto is my own suicide. I have filed off a piece of copper piping from the anti-ligature fixtures of my room, where I rot on an ever-renewed section of the Mental Health Act. I have sharpened one end of the pipe and fastened the other end into the door jamb. My courage does not fail me. I press the point against my throat and force the metal through my neck and out the other side. Blood flows... A scarlet pool collects at my feet and makes its way out under the door. But they will be too late. I hear them running, but I curse them all. I ascend into the music of the spheres, which, as I am sure you are by now aware, is resolutely atonal. Thank you. <laughs>